my friend, and um, and uh, just kind of share a little bit about Aaron. Is, he he does know about this. This wasn't like on the spot, um, but just kind of share uh, what small groups have meant to you. Sure. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, small groups for Christina and I uh, have been a major, major part of our experience with Velocity. Um, we've been going to small group with uh, Tim Ryder for the uh, young adults group for several years now. Um, unlike some of the other small groups, um, we just kind of kept going when small group season kind of came to an end. And that just kind of developed out of uh, the friendships that had grown and the bonds that we had uh, really kind of formed with everybody there. Um, there is no substitute for forming good Christian friendships that are built on faith and trust and the love of Christ. Um, I, I really can't say how much it's meant to Christina and I to uh, be able to develop and form good, close Christian friendships with everyone who has been part of the group. Um, there's been a lot of growth for us and I think growth for other members of the group as well. Um, so if you haven't been in a small group or if you've been thinking about joining one, I, I really can't tell you how much uh, we've been able to grow through that. So I highly encourage you to check one out if you haven't before. Um, I know that it can be a little bit of a time commitment, but you know, for us, it's become uh, kind of a mandatory part of our weekly routine. And you know, just the way that it's kind of filled up our lives and our faith, I just highly encourage each of you, if you haven't, to consider that and check out a small group. Thank you for sharing, Aaron. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a commitment. Um, and also, if, uh, if you have any social anxiety, just so you know, when you come to a group, you know, everybody stares at you and you have to tell your life history, uh, you know, your timeline for the last 10 years and uh, share every, you know, detail of your entire, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. We welcome you in and we let you hang out. You can talk or not talk. Um, if you talk too much, we'll let you know. Um, but other than that, we'd love for you to consider, uh, consider that, open yourself up to the possibility of those uh, spiritual relationships that are so transformative. Um, you know, so, so I kind of gave a little content warning awkwardly, you know, before this, just so, you know, sometimes people just need to kind of be prepared because some of these conversations that we have are, are things that need to be happening in the home. And so if you have a kid, like, these are things that you need to be talking with them about. But the reason, reason why we're bringing it up at all, because it'd be a lot easier not to talk about this at all. I, and I'm speaking, I'm just being selfish right now. It'd be a lot easier for me not to have to speak about this at all. Um, it's probably not going to make anybody happy. I mean, let's, let's be honest. So it's good. It's a nice, cool, rainy, rainy day. So we're all kind of feeling that way. Um, we talked about hurt last week, and this can be a very painful topic. And so why, why, bring it, why bring it up? Why risk possible harm? Because human sexuality is, is a constant theme throughout the Bible. Um, it, it's part of um, our biology. It's how we're created. Um, it's part of the human experience. And Scripture talks about it. Uh, and there are a lot of different things that Scripture has to say about it. Some of these things that you probably think, I, I know all the things, and I have everything straight, and I don't need to hear anything about this. But um, the Bible talks about these types of things, human sexuality, in practical ways that are meant to transforming, transform our thinking and our behavior to align with the character and heart and mind of God. And we, when we participate in this transformation that God calls us to, our souls experience healing and reconciliation in ways that are otherwise not possible without the redemption that Jesus brings. Because when it comes to our human sexuality, this is one of the main places where we need foundational redemption 
from Jesus in our lives because it affects so many different things in our lives. Um, regardless of what we believe, Jesus, what Jesus does on the cross to redeem us for salvation, um, re- regardless of whatever social or economic or emotional or relational pressure we may feel, we have to be open to the likelihood that some of the things that maybe we feel or think or naturally want and desire might not match up to how God created us to live. And following through with those desires, despite what God has to say about them, will cause more hurt and pain than we realize. In fact, some of the desires and wants that we have in life come out as a result of pain. And this is why we're called to repentance as followers of Jesus, and why God says, hey, my ways are not necessarily your ways. My thoughts are not necessarily your thoughts. There are things that we might not understand about ourselves that God needs to redeem and resurrect in our lives. And what makes this such a specific pain point in regards to living in faith or in doubt is that it's easy to look down on others who are struggling with ideas and emotions that we don't share. I mean, that's typically how we compartmentalize ourselves relationally. Like we say, well, that person deals with things that I don't understand, so I'm just going to kind of categorize them and close them off in my life and keep them over there. And this happens with any point of contention. And yet we are called to grace and kindness, humility on our part in that contention. So when we disagree, um, we need to make sure that it isn't hate speech. And disagreement isn't just hate speech intrinsically. Acknowledging what God says that in the Bible, it it isn't violence, but maybe the way that we communicate those things and treat other people could be violent. However, how we treat and talk to people about these things, it matters. For example, scripture says if we speak without love, we're just making a lot of loud, nonsensical noise. It doesn't really matter if you're right if nobody can hear you. We're socially driven beings who are living in a context in which the gap between culturally accepted Christianity and historical Orthodox Christianity is widening. I don't know if you've noticed that. The pressure and tension that we feel here can come from a number of different directions. And if you don't feel any pressure or tension, then I would suggest there's a possibility that you're distancing yourself from the very situations and scenarios and relationships in which Jesus calls us to embody the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. The issue of human sexuality juxtaposed with God's holiness couldn't be a more practical topic in regards to how it impacts our relationships, our children, and the structure of family and culture. And so let me give you just two examples of why this matters. Pervasive ideas in our culture that seem nice but aren't biblical. Uh, the first is, is this. You ever heard love is love? Some of you are like, I feel personally attacked right now because you said this. Love is love. It's catchy, but if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't communicate exactly what we might think. Uh, the first reason we know this is because we learned in elementary school that we can't define terms with the term itself. Do you remember that? Like when you went through English and vocab? It, it, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really tell us much. And very few people actually believe that there are no lines to be drawn in how someone expresses their personal idea of love. I can give you examples later if you'd like. And yet this is billed as the only reasonable way forward in a civilized society. However, what we really mean when we say this, when we say love is love, what we're actually saying is that our desires is what matters most. What we want is king. And unfortunately, historically speaking, just as far as humankind, this is less in line with a civilized society and more in line with the signs of societal collapse. Not all of our desires surrounding love come from a healthy place in our lives. And this is something that is taught and learned socially. 
And parents, especially, if we don't teach our kids what love is, someone or something else will. We have to teach, we have to guide, we have to guard and be a good example because um, the people who are most vulnerable in our lives need us in those places. The second is this. Here's the, here's the second pervasive idea culturally. Um, maybe you've ha- had this thought before. What happens in the privacy of someone's home is none of my business. Now, let me just say, <clears throat> I, I agree with this on face value. I don't want any details. Don't, don't, send me, don't send me an email or anything. Don't call me and tell me all the things you know, that, are, that are going on. Uh, but there's also a meaning that we tie to this that doesn't prove true over time. We kind of tag this on subconsciously and therefore has no impact on me, so live and let live. And maybe you've insulated yourself really well, but when you're trying to help people who have been abused, have been cheated on, have been abandoned, have been through the pain of divorce, people who are addicted to porn or regret an abortion or didn't grow up with a mother and father who modeled godly marriage for them, people who are objectified, people who have a spouse who rejects physical intimacy in their marriage, I'll stop there. You'll find out really quickly that these things are not just personal and private issues that just stay in the bedroom. They actually impact all of us in some way, form, or fashion. Maybe not in ways that we know about, but they absolutely impact us. So what do we do all about? What do we do about this? This is a touchy subject. Oh, it didn't work. That was meant to be the pin in the balloon of tension and, and pop. This is a touchy subject. Some of you are like, man, the dad joke was not welcome here. Um, okay, we're kind of, okay, the shoulders were a little, little tightened. Listen, I get it. Most of us are familiar with what the Bible says across its historical, textual, and contextual teaching about this topic. From the beginning, God created man and woman, and he created sex to play, take place within the covenant of marriage between that one man and one woman. This is consistent throughout the teaching of Scripture, the themes. This is, I don't think I'm telling you anything new that you don't already know, especially when you take into consideration that the historical context in which the Bible is written includes societies that were far more openly hedonistic than ours is. The reason historically that we've been as tame as we have been, specifically in our country in regards to human sexuality, is because of the adoption of Judeo-Christian sexual ethics as people began to recognize that obedience to God and the order that he creates produces something better. But nowadays, just saying, well, it's the rules, what the Bible says, doesn't really seem to be a convincing argument for people outside the church or even inside, for that matter. We all have that thinking that kind of creeps up that we're the exceptions, bless you, we're the exceptions to the rule. And then there's just a sense of doubt that if God is a God of love, that he would want or expect us to adjust our desires according to him. God just wants us to be true to ourselves. He doesn't really want us to change. That's how he loves us, is the way that I've heard this taught a lot in Christian circles. In the way of reminders, we're practicing Jude's exhortation to build up our faith. Here's what Jesus has to say about this. And this is from Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is right after uh, Jesus has told Peter, get behind me, Satan, uh, because Peter was denying that Jesus was going to have to die. Um, Anyway, in verse 25, Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul, or what can anyone give in exchange 
for their soul. Now, a couple decades ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, this wouldn't necessarily be a controversial thing to say, but it is now. So what has changed? Why do so many people think about this differently than they used to? Um, a couple reasons. The first reason is that when a question about someone's sexual activity or sexual or gender orientation starts to affect you personally, um, that's a heavy thing. And you have to do the work of reconciling that life event and that experience of that person or yourself with Scripture. This is where we take the piece out of the stack of Jenga blocks, and we have to look at this, and we have to examine it, and we have to make a decision about where we're going to put it. Are we going to put it back in the sack in the same place? Are we going to stack it somewhere else? Are we going to toss it to the side? And, and we have to make a faith or doubt call or whether or not to do one of these things. These are difficult and complex things to deal with and talk about, and we must carefully and prayerfully and consistently apply our following to Jesus to this. While emotion plays a major part here, our emotions were never meant to be the foundation upon which we rest our conclusions or decisions. And, and I get it. I, I have, I've had the conversations. I have been with people. I have friends, family, all of those kinds of things. I understand what the situations are. But one of the things that we've kind of adopted a little bit more culturally than we have um, biblically in the way that Jesus calls us to interact with people is we're just too quickly dismissive. Of, of people who are dealing with these things. It's just too easy for us to kind of separate ourselves and say, well, you're, I, you're not following the rules, and so that means you're out, so I, I need to push you over here to the side. And yet, what does Jesus do with people who don't follow the rules? Like, he spends time with them, and he talks with them, and he tells them about who the Father is, and says, now you know the Father because you've been around me. When God, uh, you know, when God creates a suitable companion for Adam, and this is kind of talking about this idea of when we come against, uh, come against these situations where people are questioning these things in their life, they're questioning their biology, they're questioning their uh, attraction. We, we've got to look holistically at what the Bible communicates about these things and how he creates us. For, for example, um, when God creates a companion for Adam, he doesn't say, what do you want? Like, it just you know, pick something out, or tell you what, here's some paper and a pen, like, draw, draw a picture, and you, you tell me what, you, what you'd like. That's, that's not the approach that God takes. He, in his wisdom and knowing exactly what Adam needs, he creates what that looks like and what that companionship and togetherness is meant, meant to look like. The complementary, holistic expression of the image of God came together in his completion of creation. And he says, this is very good. And it's represented spiritually, and it's represented biologically in the way that God creates us. However, we also need to understand that these are very difficult and complex things. And how we treat others, both directly and indirectly, when people are questioning what God wants in regards to gender and sexuality, matters just as much as being theologically correct. The self-sacrificial love of Jesus is presented in the fullness of truth and grace. I think we know this subconsciously maybe, but people aren't really that confused about what the options are when it comes to what Scripture has to say. What's confusing is often how Christians and those who claim to be Christians act toward people who are feeling and thinking differently. I'll just go ahead and say this. Being heterosexual doesn't mean that God loves you more <laughs> um, or loves you best even. And it definitely doesn't mean that you are intrinsically living a healthy and holy sexuality out. 
We all have issues that the Bible addresses on this topic. And we all need Jesus to heal and redeem the parts of us that are broken emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So we treat other people with this truth, the grace that we bring to the table, is of eternal importance. Compassion, understanding, relational investment, utilizing the fruit of the Spirit in the way that God calls us to live and show the evidence of his work in our life are the way forward in how we treat others and engage. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth, not just one part of the time, not just more one than the other when it's convenient for us to express you know, the, the one. Just truth, for example, looks like being theologically correct on issues like human sexuality and not sharing the gospel with those who disagree. Just grace looks like claiming and benefiting from God's love without returning his love through repentance. Grace without truth, it's impotent. Truth without grace isn't how God operates. And we're called to both in equal measures. This has become such a difficult topic. It's become such a specific pain point, not just because of its social pervasiveness, but because many who claim Jesus have added to the burden versus bearing it with those who need godly men and women walking alongside them. And so that's the first reason why things have, are different now. Here's the other reason why I think there's been such a massive cultural swing in how we think and talk and believe about this. There's been a significant philosophical shift that makes some of this seem very new and different, but this is actually these conversations and these ideas and these feelings are actually old and ancient, and is shown by how Christianity was radically different when the early church came on the scene. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you could read the preceding verses of the ones that I'm going to read, and, you're gonna, and you could read the verses coming after that, and there's a lot of things that Paul has to say about human sexuality and sexual immorality and healthy marriage and these kinds of things. Uh, but I want to read just two verses from that section to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And like I said, Paul is specifically addressing issues of sexual immorality and then issues of healthy singleness and healthy marriage in chapter 7 after he writes those verses. There was this philosophical idea that some Greeks had that the body is basically garbage. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. You know how you wake up in the morning. I don't know how you felt waking up in the morning, but I was kind of sore, a little, little stiff, uh, things weren't, you know, sometimes I'll be walking down the hall, uh, you can ask my kids, and I'm kind of, I'm like, you know, do you do this, where like things aren't really bending the way that they should yet in the morning, and uh, one of my kids said, Dad, what's wrong? And I said, uh, I got out of bed, like that's, that's it, that's, that's the thing, this is how I walk now in, in the morning. Um, body doesn't always do what you want, doesn't always look the way that you want or feel the way that you want, so their idea is you just kind of treat it however you want. Right, we, we can eat whatever we want. We've had access to those things. We can sit around all day. We can be lazy. We can, you know, all of those kinds of things. I mean, it's just this bag of flesh and bone and stuff. So who, who cares about what I do with this? Because this is not, this isn't important, right? It's spiritual things. Those are the things that are the most important. But Paul knew that part of the good news of the gospel is that redemption and reconciliation and resurrection applies across the board. It doesn't just apply spiritually. It applies physically as well. There's not a dualism in Christianity in which the physical is meaningless and ethereal spirituality is all that matters. This was actually a false teaching called Gnosticism that the early church had to guard against. God created us as physical and spiritual beings and he calls this very good. 
This is further solidified by the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. The incarnation of Jesus is so important to this. Jesus came not just as a spirit. This means that the gospel is meant for incarnational living and that the way of Jesus is physical and spiritual. This is good news because it is much more comprehensive than what people think. If, if it's only just about what's in our head or our emotions or our feelings, man, that's, that is not a healthy way forward. That's why it's not enough to just have the right theology, but the way that we treat and live that theology out and interact with people should be the way that the Jesus does. Following Jesus isn't just about being true to ourselves. It's about choosing to be redeemed by the one who is truth. And this is why Jesus came in the flesh as he did. God created us as sexual beings, but God did not create us for the purpose of sex. And he didn't create us to wholly identify ourselves by our desires. Instead, he calls us to himself to, to repent and adopt a wholly different way of living. When we become disciples of Jesus, we, we come to the place where God is with us. And what we do with ourselves becomes, becomes an expression of worship. And God's best way forward for us in that is to be who he created us physically and spiritually to be. And he explains what that looks like in his word. And so how do we work toward building up our faith and the faith of others when the Bible says something different than where pop culture is? A couple things. And this is the last thing I'm going to say this morning. Um, and I recognize this is a much more complex issue than what one, one sermon can handle. A um, couple things. Remember that this is not the first time um, the culture in which Paul writes, again, uh, was much more openly permissive and hedonistic than ours is now. So there's, there's plenty of room for our society and culture to, for, for growth um, in, in a way that the, the gap widens further. Um, and in some, some form or fashion, like you've got to understand that God calls us to, to live out the grace and truth of the gospel in context in which we are uncomfortable. Um, we've got to understand that. We've kind of got to get over that. Um, and we've got to get a, be about the business of sharing the love of Jesus in those situations. Um, again, these issues were much more openly prevalent and accepted. It impacted husbands, wives, children, family members, work relationships, people in power, friendships, all of it. Yet that is the context in which the early church began, in which Christians called one another to the good news from a holy God, and that all the other things in life that weren't bringing and weren't fulfilling, despite having all of those opportunities, there's something different in the followers of Jesus. And they did that. They lived this out by, by teaching one another and encouraging one another and walking through one another, regardless of what their past was. Despite what their present may be, they were still willing to be there for one another to help bear burdens. And they did that through accountability and pursuing healthy relationships and friendships, whether they're married or they're single. And they did that by not attacking their neighbor, but loving their neighbor as themselves. And that's, that's what made such a lasting impact. And that's what caused the church to grow globally in the way that it did. 
And so I just want to say, when it comes to these things and when it comes to people who are struggling with these things or they're, or they're in a place of doubt, like, is this what Scripture really says? Um, may the same approach be... May the same approach be said of us, that that instead of attacking our neighbor, we love them through it. And instead of um, distancing ourselves, we come alongside and we share who Jesus really is and and what he's all about and what really does matter in life. These are are things that, man, it, it matters how we talk about them and it matters how we treat people within them. And, and I just want to let you know, if, if this is something, this is a topic that's affecting you a little bit more personally um, than any other time that it has in your, in your life, and, and you want to have a deeper conversation about what these things mean, like, this is the kind of place where we can have those kind of conversations. Um, and so I would love to, uh, love to be, uh, to have permission in your life if you have questions about things that are going on in your family or personally. Um, we, we are here for those things. Um, and I just want to make sure I make, make that clear. Every week at Velocity, we celebrate communion together. Uh, this is a common table that all are invited to. And when Jesus dies on the cross and raises, raises again, he does that for everyone. Um, they're, they're not categories of people that he says, well, you're in, okay, you're fine, but you're, you're not. Like, you're, you're not welcome here. You, you can't come in. Um, and and that's, that's what the death, burial, and resurrection represents, is that this is an invitation from God to all to accept the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and so we're going to celebrate that together right now. I'm going to have a word of prayer. We've got a couple different tables around the room, and um, I'm going to invite you to share in that time with us uh, just after this prayer. God, um, we are uh, the place where you choose to dwell as followers of Jesus. God, help us to, um, to recognize that as we interact with people, as we have conversations with people, as we bear one, another, one another's burdens, we're uh, representing a piece of your image to others, that this is an incarnational, not just a uh, weaponized uh, faith that we, we hold, and, and that this is meant to uh, bring the good news of the gospel, the, the life-changing transformation that only you can provide, that nothing else in this world um, does. God, we just ask that you give us boldness and courage and uh, wisdom through your Holy Spirit to live, live in this incarnational way that Jesus models for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.